Welcome to Sound and Vision, that trivia-based wonder of pop culture, with your host, Marty Boston. Thank you, Scary Children. Yes, I am back with my co-host as well, Dan Wilson. Say hi, Dan. Hi, Dan. I have, uh, this week, I feel like, you know, spicing it up a bit, and um, I've taken a rule book and I've thrown it out a window, and instead, this week's theme has been chosen entirely not by your host, but by my co-host. Um, so, Dan, what is your theme for this week? Uh, my theme this week, Marty, is a theme that I don't think you'd have chosen, based on our conversation since picking it. Never. But uh, I actually picked so I could discuss a couple of these films, because it's biopics. Mm. Briefly discuss what a, a biopic is. Uh, a biopic, as far as I understand it, is a film that focuses on one person mm-hmm. and their story, perhaps through a certain period of events, perhaps through their lifetime. And it aims to tell the, their story, not necessarily from their perspective, but the story of a person. So a true story. A true story. Although, as we will discover through the show perhaps uh, certain liberties can be taken with that. Some twists to make Mm. it more entertaining for the audiences. Dan hit the nail on the head, though. It's not a theme which I would necessarily go for. And the reason why is because I like to watch films to immerse myself from outside of normal life. And whenever I've watched a biopic, it's very much for the sake of it is the norm, it is mundane, and it's almost the magic behind the camera which you see. Which I'm fine for documentaries, but just for some reason in particular, when it comes to a biopic, I just it doesn't. doesn't I like, work I like with the way me. you say it, biopic instead of yeah. biopic. Yeah, sod it. Why not biopic? Sure. Well, it's a biography picture, so biopic. Mm. Yeah, sure. I can't argue with that. Yeah, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. The way that the show works is as followed. Myself and Dan have chosen two films each. I will give you three clues. A little bit of music will be played, uh, which is not related to that film at all. Then we'll come back and discuss the film itself. We'll go into details what we like, maybe what we didn't like, etc, etc. Dan will then do that as well, and it's twice over. So me, Dan, me, Dan. Simple enough, you can play along at home. So, I'll go into my first. Why don't you, Marty? Why don't you? When blank and blank and... You know, it's not their real names. Sailed to Ireland to continue their tour. Their arrival was marked by a tragedy, even though the the actors were not aware of it at the time. In anticipation at seeing the Hollywood stars, three Irishmen dived into the sea and swam out to meet the boat when it was about 100 yards from the dockside. Sadly, when they were just 40 yards from shore, they suddenly remembered they couldn't swim and drowned. Their bodies were recovered the following day at low tide. So you just forgot. You just forgot you couldn't swim. Hmm, that's not ideal. Nope. Clue two. Hal Roach outlived both his stars by quite a bit when he died in November 1992, aged 100. And clue three. Steve Coogan and John C. Riley were the first choices of director John S. Bard and screenwriter Jeff Pope the roles of this duo now dan you haven't seen it have you no and i'm actually i'm actually pretty disappointed that i missed this one as as a more recently avid cinema goer a bit of another clue for them uh this is one i didn't actually manage to get in there and see something you're interested in uh not something i really know anything about i just heard lots of good things about this movie good fantastic okay we'll go in after this
Time is up. Did you guess it? I did, but I also knew what this film was. Good, good. This is uh, came out only last year, actually. It's Stan and Ollie. So, Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy. Might have heard of them. A duo back in the olden days who just rewrote comedy, essentially, in the black and white silent movie era. And even when it came into um, the non-silent, but still black and white, they were still about. Sadly, as they got older, people like Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, for example, they came out as other duos and they were more well-known by the youth and um, the audience interacted with them more as colour came in, etc, etc. And the basic plot of Stan and Ollie is um, it's a few years into their career, they're getting a little bit older and um, it's whilst they're in the UK and they're trying to bring back the love for Laurel and Hardy, which everyone used to have. And it's their issues with that and the fact that there's an underlying disagreement between the two of them as well, which happened prior to this. They had a little bit of a separation at one point, and it's the argument behind that. In addition, you go into the details of Oliver Hardy's um, health issues as well, which he has. He has a heart attack at some point. Funny enough, it happens, and this happened in real life, somewhere very, very local to Brighton. It actually happened in Worthing. Stan and Ollie were there, and um, just as Hardy was about to step up, he had a heart attack. Um, I, th- I think I'd probably have a heart attack if I had to spend that much time in Worthing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is the place where people go to die. Um, so that's the basic premise of Stan and Ollie. The reason why I chose this film, as I said, I'm not a huge fan of biopics or biography pictures or however you want to describe biopics. it. Or biopics. The reason why I chose this is because I'm a huge fan of of Laurel and Hardy. Uh, I have a box set um, of every single one of their films, so much so that I've even got the one when they also show them in colour, which I don't like because it's odd to see them. You're so used to them. Um, and this was something which I grew up with my great nan. She introduced me to them and I fell in love with the idea of comedy could still be silly and still be very, very on point. It's very tongue-in-cheek. It's funny. I mean, the, the most famous one of their shorts... Is called The Music Box. And they're just trying to get a piano into an apartment. And it just falls down these massive amount of stairs. And they're running after it. And they're just hitting each other. And it's just that, that very much that type of comedy caper. And they worked so brilliantly. It showed, in addition, their actors which you could have no, no conversation. So it was very much an action base. So they're very vocal in their facial expressions. You're aware of what they're trying to say because of how they're reacting to certain things as well. It's just something which I've grown up with and something which I genuinely love. So when this film came out, I was very happy when it came out. Steve Coogan and John C. Riley, essentially not the first people you would think of when they're going to come, especially John C. Riley, if I'm honest. But both of them hit the nail on my head. They, they're absolutely outstanding as the cast in this film. And there's you know several other cameos with other famous actors in it as well. But just a wonderful, wonderful film. And the ending even brought a tear to my eye. There's a particular dance which Lauren Hardy do. And it's like their classic one. And uh, they do it right at the end of the music. And it just it sets the tone so nicely. It also goes into detail of when Oliver died as well. Eight years after that. Because Stan was the one who was writing all of it. Um, 
Stan was still writing stuff for Laurel and Hardy, even though Hardy died. Mm. He never worked again. He just did nothing but writing. And then eight years later, Stan also died as well. So do you think as a fan of uh, Laurel and Hardy, mm. you gained a deeper appreciation for it all while watching this film? Absolutely. Because there's only a certain amount of information that you get from the films and from the media about what happened behind the argument um, how their relationships were, how their relationships with their wives were as well. Whereas with Vish, you get a better understanding of the background behind the camera and how they worked as a pair, that they were best friends. But they weren't just all happy and lovely, as you see on screen. They did have arguments. They did have issues with each other. Um, and in particular, how bad Hardy's health issues were. They were massively severe but also you don't go into detail and see their downfall into their career when they weren't as happy with their lives and they were just trying anything and anything and they were staying in horrible hotels and it wasn't lavish it wasn't hollywood it was dive little pubs b&b's and they had to deal with it and this is after they've gone up in their career and it's come smashing down it was a horrible situation for them but it's a genuinely enjoyable film really nice they work so well together and I'd highly recommend it. Very nice. Mm. So that is my first choice. I think yeah. that means it's my turn, doesn't it? Yeah, it's your choice. It's been it's been a little while. I'm, I'm getting the hang of this radio stuff mm, now. You are. Okay, first clue for my first film. Christian Bale said that due to the improvisational direction style of Adam McKay... He had to do more research in this film than any other film he's done. Wow. In order to ad-lib in a character, Bale not only needed to have this character's mannerisms and vernacular down, but he also had to know which policies, their instances, and abbreviations this person would be aware of at any given moment in his life. Wow. Impressive. Very. Uh, Christian Gale Bane, 45 pounds, shaved his head, bleached his eyebrows, and exercised to thicken his neck for this role as this person. Bale said he achieved his hefty physique for this film by eating a lot of pies. The dream. Uh, director Adam McKay suffered a mild heart attack during post-production. Wow. He decided to include black and white footage of this procedure to insert a stent in his heart, considering this to be his cameo. Jesus. Yeah. Um, out of all three of those clues, how do you exercise just your neck? And not everything else. I'm, just, I'm genuinely curious. You know how pigeons walk around? Yeah. I just do a lot of that. <laughs> you just see Bale walking around. Bobbing his neck. Listening to techno. Eating seeds off the floor. And pies. Hmm. Good. Okay, we'll be back after this. So uh, for anyone that didn't get that, that's this is the the quite recent film actually, Vice. Last year. Last year, that's right. Uh, Vice is the a biopic of Dick Cheney, who is a uh, an, an infamous American politician, mm. um, who was the uh, the vice president for uh, George Bush Jr. Um, this is not 
a kind film to Dick Cheney. And uh, interestingly, as as with the other film, I don't I didn't know anything about the subjects of these films before I went to see them. Unlike you with Lauren and Hardy, I, I knew almost nothing about Dick Cheney. Um, but ultimately, what this film serves to do is to absolutely bury him in the ground under criticism. Wow. Uh, Dick Cheney was influential in a lot of American politics. Um, essentially, he had a large hand in the Iraq War. He was a big player after post um, post nine eleven. He he essentially spent his life patiently waiting to gain more and more power wow. and have more and more control in the White House without actually being the president. And it's a lot to do with how how the American politics system runs today. Um, Adam McKay in this Adam McKay previously prior to this film he did uh, the Big Sick. Yep. Um, uh, about the housing crisis in America, um, and this film serves to really hit home what an effect a single politician can have on the American uh, the American political system. Um, I don't. This it's quite it's quite a complex film. There's there's quite a lot to it. Um, but essentially, what this film does is take what could be a very boring subject, uh, American politics, and the the in depth nature of that. And make it hugely entertaining, really. Um, because as as with the clue said, there's a lot of ad libbing and a lot of sort of off the cuff humor with this film, and it is humorous. Um, because straight away from the bat, I, I think with a lot of biopic films, you know there's going to be drama, you know there's going to yeah. be troubles. Everyone faces troubles in their life. That's what makes these films interesting. Whereas with this film, it's not about a one man overcoming his obstacles. It's just learning about one man and everything he did, which was bad from the off. Mm. Um, now, I'm, I'm obviously, you know, Adam McKay had an agenda when he made this film. I, I don't know much about Dick Cheney other than other than what I learned from this film. So it's hard for me to say. Oh, actually, he was probably also a nice guy in this and that because I don't know this. One of the key themes that comes through this film, um, one of Dick Cheney's daughters uh, uh, came out as as a lesbian, and um, halfway through this film. It's a slight spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen it, so if you are planning to watch this film, stop listening for a moment. Halfway through this film, Dick Cheney has the option to run as part of a campaign which it has an anti-LGBT sentiment to it, or to support his daughter. Okay. And at this point in the film, uh, the, it comes up on the screen, and uh, Dick Cheney decided to live with his family and live happily ever after. And the credits start rolling. And then it cuts, and then it just starts goes straight into the campaign of him running with this uh, anti-LGBT candidate. So wow. it just goes to show um, what a film can do is in terms of being like a hit piece yeah. on on an individual, but in such a an interesting and humorous way. Um, it's got a really great cast actually. Aside from Christian Bale, it's got Amy Adams, it's got uh, Steve Carell, um, it's got it's got a really large number of really interesting people. Who's the guy from who plays Todd in Breaking Bad? Todd. Um- Zach Galifianakis? No, 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 no. Bradley Cooper. In Breaking Bad. Oh, in Breaking Bad. Todd. Um, oh, I know who you're on about. He's, he's also in um, uh, Black Mirror in yeah. USS Callister. Essentially, the film is a ridge. He is the narrator for this film, and he is a admittedly fake veteran um, of the Iraq War who, halfway through the film, gets hit by a car, and then his heart is transplanted into Dick Cheney. Wow. So it's, it's it's really this this point of like this man whose life was absolutely ruined by going to a war that Dick Cheney dictated is then hit by a car and continues to support Dick Cheney and how everything in America just sort of flowed into into this man and, and benefited him. Someone plays Bush as well, and I can't remember. Oh, it's um, who's the bad guy in Seven Psychopaths? Sam Rockwell. Yeah, that's it. Sam, Sam Rockwell. Rockwell. Yep. Sam Rockwell was really good with um, putting on voices and method acting. So when I saw, because uh, when they were advertising it and promoting it, I saw 
a little bit on uh, Graham Norton and Rockwell was on there. And just his mannerisms and how... Because, like you, I'm I'm not overly aware of Dick Cheney. I'm not aware prior to this conversation. But with Bush, obviously I've seen him about every now and then. And just the way that he acted, it was really, really impressive. You could get that he'd, he'd done his homework. He, he had the mannerisms of Bush, the way that he spoke, the way that he is. Um, did you see that with him as well? Yeah, for sure. And um, one of the interesting parts about this film, looking into it, is that um, Sam Rockwell really struggled with this role for one simple reason which is that um george bush jr speaks with a like his bottom lip pushed out slightly when he talks Mm -hmm. and uh he he had a real trouble consolidating that action and also the accent that he needed to do to play the role so he spent a long time just trying to go over that hurdle that's amazing um there was a lot of method acting that went into this film actually it was the first film that amy adams ever exclusively stayed in role for even between shoots so because she had to act in a certain way that was very politically heavy between shoots she would continue to act and speak in in a way similar to her character um dick cheney's wife and uh but would then go up to the director and argue with him about u.s politics to make sure she kept the momentum and the role going throughout her time in the uh, wow in in the uh, stage yeah that's amazing um, sorry I can't be more eloquent about this film but what I'd say is if you've got any at all any interest in American politics go and watch it because I mean just I, for I the didn't. cast alone I, I went to see this film because other friends were going and I, I had a limitless card but I, I enjoyed the hell out of this film mm. because because of Adam McKay's directing I um, I mean any film which Bale is in to be honest I'm always interested because he's he's such a involved actor Um it's the one which anyone will ever go, you know, you always go back to it when it comes to Bale, the machinist, the fact that how much weight he lost, he put himself into it, and then nine months later, he was in Batman Begins, and his body difference, he's completely okay, mm. losing all the weight, gaining all the weight for this one as well, he's very much in the moment, he's willing to put his body to the outer limits of what's healthy and what's not healthy, and to just, for that alone, you want to support him because of how much he's involved in it as well. So any Bale film, I'm automatically interested. Definitely worth a watch from my opinion of what you've said. Uh, he um, Also, this is the first time he's actually used a nutritionist for the serious weight gain or loss because he, he said he's getting older now and he's more concerned about the effect it'll have on his health. <laughs> Fair enough, after a lifetime of ballooning and shrinking down and I mean, then muscling yeah. up and... Have you um have you seen any interviews or anything since with regards to Dick? Have you seen anything with to you know to compare between what Bale does and what he does uh, no I've not no I'd be curious to know because obviously again with Bush and Rockwell you can get it so it'd be interesting to see how close he is mm. but um yeah no I, I'm definitely going to give this a watch it sounds like fun how long is it film wise couldn't couldn't tell you I'm afraid not not like a three hour plus one uh, no I, I didn't fall asleep there you go that's that's your marker <laughs> for anyone in the audience listening I I'm unable to go to the cinema without falling asleep. Because yeah, films are too long, the room's dark and it's warm, and apparently I'm a 97-year-old man. <laughs> but no, this one uh, kept my attention, so it's not too long. Good, that's good. And then I need to see uh, The Big Short as well. That's another one which I need to watch. Yeah, I called it The Big Sick earlier. Uh, the big, the big sh- yeah, I, it's big one short. of the two. Big Short. Um, yeah, Big Sick's the one with uh, a love couple. Then it is The Big Short, yeah. Yeah, The Big Short. That's what I want to watch. Okay, that is Dan's first choice. I'm going to move on now to my second Clue Uno Non-comic book fans or modern comic book fans may be puzzled by the fact that the kid 
trick-or-treating as Green Lantern in the opening scene is wearing a red costume. Would you know, just before me continuing this, why he'd have a red costume? Is he just a red lantern? Brilliant. No. This is actually accurate to the era in which they're talking about. The 1950s. The kid is dressed as the Golden Age Green Lantern, Alan Scott, who had a costume like that before the concept got rebooted in 1959 into the more familiar Green Lantern uniform. So was he still called a Green Lantern? Yeah, so he um, he wore like a red top and he had a cape um, and it was to do with Chinese magic and he would be carrying around a Chinese lantern and that's how he was the Green Lantern. Didn't have a ring or anything, he did everything with a lantern. Why a Green Lantern then? Why would they call him Green Lantern? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's to do with the Green Dragon, Chinese culture sounds vaguely racist yeah i mean it was 1950s so sounds overtly racist yeah sounds yep. about right clue two one scene features a reconstruction of the main character played by paul giamatti appearing on the late night with david letterman in 1982 this was famously the moment when the main character criticized nbc whilst wearing a t-shirt with on strike against nbc written on it the director originally wanted to use the original footage, however, NBC would not lease out the actual video. I wonder why. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Clue three. Harvey Pecker, the main character in this film, died in 2010 due to a drug overdose. It's very sad. Sucks. All too common in uh, celebrities these days, unfortunately. Yeah, it is. But, I mean, when you find out more about Harvey Pecker, it's actually quite shocking that he even went down that route. However, we'll go into that after this. Imagine you are an, an admin guy in a local hospital. Your job is dull. Um, and the only way that you get by is speaking to your co-workers about, you know, non-repetitive, but still mundane and boring stuff. That's the only way you get through it. And you go home and you collect thousands of LPs and books and you go to garage sales or whatever they call it over in America, because this is an American Yard film. sales. Yard sales. Uh, and whilst at a garage sale, or a yard sale, he uh, meets a greeting card artist. Um, they have a conversation part ways, you know, a little bit of communication, but other than that, that's it. Years later, you find out that that greeting card artist has actually created a comic book, and he's, he's pretty famous now. It's an indie underground one, but nonetheless, he's quite famous. And you start thinking to yourself, I could do this. I I know that I could do this in actual fact because this comic in the 1950s, comics in general weren't something which would be seen as an artistic expression. It was it was not about that. It was very much you know Batman, Superman, the comedy aspect of it and the action aspect of it, and that was it. There was no art form behind it. It was seen very much for kids. It wasn't for adults. 
And that's what Harvey does in American Splendor. He's in that situation when he realises, well, I can do this and I can still do it in the way which DC are not doing it and Marvel are not doing it. I can do it about my own life. And with warts and all, the fact that there's bumps and I don't look fantastic and I'm a bit of a slouch and I, I work in a hospital as an admin clerk. It's nothing impressive, but it's his journey and how he goes about it and it turns into this little indie classic and you can still read American Splendor now. Um, it's not in production anymore, but you can always find them online or whatever. And it's his journey in particular with the fame which comes with this because, he, like I said in the previous clue, he goes on um, Late Night with David Letterman. He's That happens but he's not okay with the fame aspect. He never loses his job. He doesn't quit it, even though he has this you know, life-changing experience. He still doesn't do it. He still is more than happy to do that. Still speak to his co-workers about the mundane stuff, which keeps him going as well. And it's his journey with that. In addition, he falls in love with a fan as well. That's a really awkward but funny moment. And Paul Giamatti, I'm a really big fan of. Um, he, the most recent thing, which everyone's probably aware of is the amazing spider-man 2 he plays the rhino um that's the best way to describe him but he's done loads of other stuff loads of indie films he's really good with those as well have you uh when you think of paul giamatti just out of curiosity what film do you think of i know what he looks like but can tell you a single film he's in spider-man 2 yeah <laughs> um but it's a really, really enjoyable film, and it's through the period of the 50s to the late 70s, early 80s as well, so you get a grasp of that type of era. It's a really enjoyable film. I don't feel like I'm selling it even well enough compared to what it is. It was a Sundance Film Festival hit in the year 2003, got awards, critics loved it, really enjoyable film, and I'd highly recommend it. Hold on, is this comic just about his boring life talking about boring stuff at work? Yeah. And this was a hit. Yeah. They really were deprived of adult comics back yeah, then. Yeah, well, they? that's it, though, because it was just men in tights. It was just superheroes. And that's all they really got back in that day. I mean, Archie started to come out as well, but even that was a bit. Well, it wasn't artistic. Whereas this, even the way that it's drawn is ahead of its time. It's not that, that look. It's very much the indie comics which you'd receive now. Bold, big colours around people's figures who aren't muscular and defined it's very much for slouchy a real comic for real people yeah you, you know someone who's losing his hair and he's not looking great or, or a woman who has lumps in potentially the ways that wonder woman doesn't have lumps in certain places as well and it's just certain things like that it really homes in the fact that you don't necessarily have to be superman or wonder woman you can be this and your life's still okay but it got a massive cult following huge following um Harvey Ben since did go on to work with DC and Marvel as well, admittedly. But it's just his journey, his life, and how fame came knocking on his door. And although he liked the idea of writing his own comic, he didn't like the idea of fame and his balance in between the two of them. It's a really, really enjoyable film. It actually sounds very good. I think I may watch this one. Yeah, it's, it's nice to see what happens. And Paul Giamatti, like I said, I really enjoy him as an actor, so he portrays it. In addition... Um, this came out in 2003 Harvey Pecker is the narrator of this film as well so he's narrating his own life which again is a brilliant idea oh to actually do. that's really smart yeah and he's got a really wheezy 
not a nice voice either so that even comes across really well it's just it's a wonderful film i can't recommend it enough there's not really any cameos if i'm honest other than harvey pecker um there's no big names in it still enjoyable though give it a watch okay we'll do that is my second choice let's now move on to daniel's storming through these this week Mm. Uh, Okay, clue number one. This film was one of two movies released in 2017 to feature The Chain by Fleetwood Mac on the soundtrack. What an amazing song. The other was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Not an amazing film. (laughs) Although Margot Robbie trained extensively for the role, she was not able to perform a triple axel, nor could a skating double be found to do so, as very few women figure skaters are able to perform the jump. Producer Tom Ackerley stated... There have only been six women since this person who have done a triple axel. Even if there was one doing it today, she'd be training for the Olympics and couldn't risk doing it for the film. The jump was accomplished using the use of visual effects. Wow. Clue number three. In 1993, director Craig Gillespie directed a Campbell soup ad starring Nancy Kerrigan, who is one of the main characters for this film. Mm. So he directed a soup ad with the real person and then directed a film with someone playing that person. <laughs> Um, just out of curiosity, the jump, which they were unable to... What What is that? Do you know what the jump is? Because you've seen this film, haven't you? Mm, I don't know enough about ice skating to, to accurately describe what this move would be. Just Google triple axel. You'll recognise it. It's, it's sort of a jump, leg up in the air, spinning kind of deal. Wow. Mm. Impressive, then. Yeah, as a man who went ice skating for the first time two weekends ago, and it took me half an hour to do my first lap of the ice rink, I have a lot more respect for ice skaters than I did previously. Yeah, I basically just hold on to the sides. Yeah. I cannot go in the middle. I'm sure if I'd been as a child, I'd been I'd be slightly less scared, but now mm. I have about six foot to fall. I'm not so keen on the ice. Right, I know. Being tall is scary. So fair ice. play to anyone who can even skate forward on the ice without holding on, let alone do triple axles. Yeah, the wife can do it. She loves it. Every year when the ice rink comes to Brighton, she's like, oh, do you want to go? And I'm like, no. No, I don't. You can take anyone else. I don't want to go. To anyone out there who thinks I can't ice skate now, I'll have you know I did my last lap in just under two minutes. So Really? Boom. That's really... So did you let go of the sides? Yes. Didn't hold on to anything. Skated all by myself. You didn't hold on to anyone else? No one else. How many times did you slip over on this lap? I didn't fall over once. How many times did you slip over the entire session? I didn't fall over once. Wow, that's impressive. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. This is the story of Tonya Harding, a uh, a female ice skater who was working her way towards the Olympics, who faced many a challenge on the way there. Mm. Um, Tonya began ice skating from the age of four, uh, with her then abusive mother uh, forcing her to take take part in this, and began seriously training for the role at eight, Uh, was taken out of school so she could just focus on her ice skating. Um, The problem with Tonya Harding was that she, well, the problem, the supposed problem was that she was a redneck. She was 
not your typical well-behaved, well-mannered, well-trained ice skater. She was a hugely, hugely talented woman who could ice skate with the best of them, but she didn't fit the mould which uh, people were expected to fit back then. So there was a lot of resistance, and she found it very hard to get into that world. Even her music choices were rejected. The judges didn't like her because of her behaviour, because of her language. And uh, it's the story of this this woman who goes through life struggling to be accepted in her role, struggling with being abused by a parent, struggling with an abusive husband, and really the tragedy that is her life as she goes through attempting to make her way into the ice skating world. Uh, the film's called I, Tonya. Um, I actually saw this film entirely by, well, I'd say accent, uh, Odeon do screen unscenes, which are films where you don't know what they're going to be. I'd never even heard of this film, and it came up, actually, that's a lie, I'd seen the trailer, and I thought, oh, it's going to be that terrible ice skating film, and I was encapsulated for the entire thing. Really? Uh, the performances are excellent, the story is fascinating. It's not a film about ice skating, it's a film about a woman trying to fit into a world in which she doesn't fit, and a woman who makes many, many mistakes on the way. Um... The the crux of the issue and the reason Tonya Harding is so famous today is because, uh, also interestingly enough, actually before I carry on, there are two narrators for this film, Tonya Harding and her husband, um, her estranged husband who was abusive, and they each tell a slightly different story, so there's a large un- unreliable narrator theme running throughout the film. Yeah. Um, Tonya is it, Harding... Is it, sorry, is it a split in the middle of the film, like halfway through? They take no, over no, it, it, it just sort of blends throughout the course of the film, but Tonya Harding is banned from ever participating in competitive ice skating these today Uh, and that is because when it came to a competition in which she was going to lose her then husband um, sent death threats to the opponent and then hired people to threaten to break her leg the message was misconstrued and these two men broke her main opponent's leg for which she was blamed and then was banned permanently from competition and there's a harrowing scene at the end of the film where she begs the judge to just give her jail time instead of taking her out of the competitive sport because it's all she knows it's all she's ever worked on towards her life and margot robbie's performance through this film is absolutely incredible and this along with vice i think both prove that a biopic doesn't have to be something you're interested in and mm. these character driven films and they, the actors behind them are absolutely fascinating ways to to listen to a story you otherwise may not have been interested in absolutely i mean you hit the nail on my head with regards to the trailer i I've seen the trailer for I, Tonya as well, and I automatically just assumed that it was about ice skating as well. It's not something which I'm particularly interested in, not that there's anything wrong with that, it's just not my bag. Um, so it's really interesting to hear that it's not really about the ice skating aspect, it's about someone trying to fit in, essentially. It's a truly, truly tragic film, um, but it's very, very interesting, very well acted, and I just, I just have a huge amount of respect for a director who can make me care about something that I had no interest in at all by making it about the people. Mm. Um is there any other um, big actors in the film? There are. Don't remember them. I don't really remember them. No, not to worry. Margot Robbie, I mean, she's amazing. She's done some good ones, mm. said least. Yeah, um, she, she's she's a fantastic actress. I, I really I really do appreciate her work. Um, plays, plays very intense roles um, between this, Wolf of Wall Street, things like that. Another biopic as well. Very interesting as well that I didn't know until very recently. She's actually Australian. Yeah, mm. massively. So young as well. She's mid-twenties. Yeah, she's younger than me and just fantastically talented. Yeah, she's an amazingly talented woman and, well, we're not. Mm, thanks for that downer note there, Marty. That's all right. Um, but yeah, I, Tonya, so overall, you'd give it a watch. I, I would say watch both of these films. 
it's it's not often I sort of recommend sort of fringe films or, or films that people may sort of hesitate. I would recommend both of these films to most people. Which would you say is the better of the They're two? They're very different. They're very, very different films. I, Tonya is a film about relating to the character and feeling sympathy. Vice is the total opposite. You're hating the character. Mm. Interesting. Good. Okay, then. Well, if you haven't seen it, give it a watch. If you have seen it, maybe give it another watch. That is the end of this week's show. Next week, uh, we'll be back with a, another theme. Um, it's actually the last show next week of 2019 because the way that Christmas and New Year's falls on Tuesdays. It shouldn't be much of a mystery as to what the theme is going to be for next week. No, obviously, it's going to be Christmas. It, it can be nothing else. Um, I've already chosen my films. I have also chosen my films, and we will be discussing the best Christmas film of all time. Mm, yeah, I, uh, I'm i not going for that type of Christmas film. I'm going for something totally different. Also, I just want to say, Die Hard's not a Christmas film. And we have... We have already discussed Die Hard. Die Hard has already been discussed on the show. Yeah, I know. That's why I can bring it up. Die Hard is 100% a Christmas film. Definitely not a Christmas you, film. Next year you're going to tell me... Mm, I'm not going to say it because I want to talk about it next week. <laughs> you're intrigued. I can tell. Well, tune in next week. But until then, thank you, Dan. Thank you, Marty. And have a week. <laughs>